You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about so many things. And they're good things. I mean, she's focused on taking care of the the church needs and and the leadership of the church, and she's ministering and and doing all this stuff. Mary is chosen. It's always a choice. In the busyness of church life, to make sure that while you're doing ministry, your priority is sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's a challenge. Pastors, Christian leaders, church members. Don't forget what it's truly about and who it's all truly for. Jesus. He's the center of all things, and all that you do should be influenced by Him. Today, Pastor Danny reminds you to keep perspective on things that you're doing in the church. He reminds you that though there's an endless list of things to be done and people to be served, you must be sure to keep your heart focused on Jesus. He's the one that all of these things are for. As you do the works that He's placed on your heart, don't forget Him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, as he begins his message, Schemes of the Enemy. Nehemiah chapter 6. If you're new with us, we have a Calvary Chapel Fellowship Bible reading plan also available in the lobby or online. Uh, We're reading through a big chunk of the Old Testament right now. The goal is to have a daily time with the Lord, part of that being reading your Bible. And so as we read through together with the goal of reading daily, on the weekends we're pulling out a section and teaching on that. And Nehemiah 6 is that section this morning. But let me set you up if you were not here last weekend, and I'll just give a very brief summary. God leads the children of Israel into the land of promise through Joshua's leadership. Uh, We finished the book of Joshua, reading there. They're in the promised land. Next book is Judges. Uh, What happened over a period of time is the Israelites uh, allowed the peoples that they were supposed to continue to drive out the giants of the land But instead, over time, they allowed these people to influence them into worshiping other gods. As soon as they go into idolatry, uh, God would give them over to an enemy power. And that's always the case. Anytime you go away from the Lord, you give the enemy place in your life. And so the enemy would come in and uh, they would uh, have all these negative things happening because of the enemy now. And they would cry out to God. God would be merciful and God would send a deliverer. That's what the book of Judges is all about. One deliverer after another over a long period of years where they would go back into idolatry, cry out to the Lord. He would deliver them back into idolatry, cry out to the Lord. And you had this roller coaster spiritual ride. It got so bad that God allowed the ancient country of Babylon, ruled by a man named Nebuchadnezzar, 
to come in and destroy Jerusalem, the temple, and deport Israelites from the land of Israel into Babylon, import Babylonians into the land of Israel, defile the land. Jeremiah the prophet was told by God that the Babylonian captivity, the Israelites gone now into Babylonian captivity, it would last for 70 years. It did. After the captivity, God now is going to begin to restore what the enemy has been allowed to destroy. And there were three waves of a move of God. Uh, the first was under a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, who was the governor of uh, Jerusalem. And God uses Zerubbabel to rebuild the altar and the temple. Now they had a place to go and worship together, offer sacrifices to the Lord. But a second work was needed. And this came under Ezra. Ezra was devoted to studying and teaching the Bible. And through Ezra's ministry, uh, they not only just had a place to go and to worship together corporately, now the Word of God was beginning to transform lives. But a third work needed to take place, and that's Nehemiah. And under Nehemiah's leadership, the people would continue to come back to the land of Israel, and here under Nehemiah, they would rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Very important. Walls, defensive walls. We need defensive walls against the enemy. Two chapters in Nehemiah have to do with the enemy and the enemy's opposition to the work that God is wanting to do or that he's doing. It's a great chapter. It's such a practical chapter. It's easy as a pastor, Bible teacher, to put a title on this one, Schemes of the Enemy. Here we go. Verse 1, when word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. That ought to give you a clue right there. Anybody invites you to, to the plains of Ono, just say, oh, no. They were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great work, a great project. I can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time... I gave them the same answer. And in those opening verses, you have the first scheme of the enemy. You know what it is? Distraction. Nehemiah is focused. He has the people following him focused. They are doing a great work for God. And in the midst of the work, the enemy's tactic is come and meet. In the plains of Ono. Oh, no. Get him away from the work. Get him focused somewhere else. Get him in conversation with the enemy. I don't know where Daniel Henderson, my friend, our friend, I got it from. I need to ask him if he coined it or he stole it from someone. Either way, it's a great statement, and here it is. The enemy does not have to destroy us. He just has to distract us. And the distraction can be so deceiving. 
Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus were friends of Jesus, followers of Jesus. They got involved in the ministry because of Jesus. Martha's so involved in church work, but her sister, there's this one occasion, you might know the story, uh, her sister has chosen not to be involved in, in all the stuff that needs to be done in church work. And her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And here Martha is doing all these things that need to be done. Martha gets so upset, she goes to Jesus. Don't you care that my sister's not helping me? Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about so many things. And they're good things. I mean, she's focused on taking care of the the church needs and and the leadership of the church, and she's ministering and and doing all this stuff. Mary is chosen. It's always a choice in the busyness of church life to make sure that while you're doing ministry, your priority is sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's a challenge. Pastors, Christian leaders, church members. Here's what it says. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I mean, you got all this stuff. It's happening all the time. There's things that happen here. As a church meeting, it got to happen every week. Children's ministry and the parking and all the stuff, and I got to prepare for the message. And, and yet, I could, I could, I could if, I, if, I, if I would, I could just think about what I need to say to you. What does God want to say to me? Am I sitting at the feet of Jesus? My hearing from Jesus. You see, distraction, distraction. Ministry can be a distraction. Don't let that happen. Don't get so involved in the ministry that you miss sitting at the feet of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he laid this out in the parable of the seed and the sower, and he tells us in Luke's gospel, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who, well, they hear, they hear the word, but as they go on their way, this is life. As you're going on in life, They're choked. And he mentions three things. Think about these just for a moment with me. The first one is life's worries. Life's worries. What is that? Life's worries. All the things you got to think about. All the details of life. Uh, The older you get, the more details there are. You got to go to the dermatologist. He says, we got to cut that off. And then he says, you're going to need more work done there. And so they take me back and they do surgery. And if I'd have planned it well, I'd had a guest speaker this weekend so you wouldn't have to sit here looking at big nose or... Well, my nose is smaller now, but it's still big. But you wouldn't have to look at the Band-Aid nose. Maybe just close your eyes and listen to the voice and look up at the PowerPoint. I don't know. but Life's worries. Life doesn't get any less busy. You get married, and you're all excited about getting married, and all of a sudden, hey, listen, the guy that said two can live cheaper than one is a liar. That's a lie. That's not true. Not true at all. And you get married, and then you start having kids, and all of a sudden you have soccer and all, whatever it is your kids are into, and now you're just busy. And now you're trying to be involved in the church as well, and you got your own family to, 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 to worry about. I mean, it's worries, 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 worries. It's all this stuff, all these responsibilities. And then the riches. Look how this works, riches. All of a sudden you got the money to buy what you've always wanted to buy, and now because you can buy what you always wanted to buy, now you got more worries. You got more stuff to worry about. Now you're not only taking care of your house, but it's the extra house you got. Now you not only got the house, but the boat. 
Well, that's not a bad one. Let's move on to the camper. The camper. Oh, the camper. You know what I mean? You got all this stuff. And because you got riches, now you got more worries. And then the last one, self-explanatory, isn't it? I mean, this is so practical. Pleasures. What is that? That's just what you like to do. And we all like to do different things. Some of you like golf. I thought I liked golf. Somewhere on the back nine, I became a free will Baptist, and I lost my salvation. <laughs> or at least, it was, at least it was threatened. And because of my back pain and my, my spiritual challenge of wondering, am I really saved or not? You know, I just gave it up. Some of you are still doing it, and you enjoy it. You enjoy it. And, but listen, the golf game, the golf game can become the priority. You can play more golf than you do a work in the ministry in the kingdom of God and the church. Some of us, it's, it's fishing. Uh, let me go on record. I had a new person last service, and let me go. Any, anybody that might be new with us, and you hear this rumor that the pastor likes fishing. I hate fishing. I love catching, but I hate fishing. Well, listen, you go and you have a good day, and what happens is you have a good evening. You say, where can we go again? I want to go again. And all of a sudden, whatever it is you like to do, your pleasure, listen, life's worries, riches, and pleasures, if you're not careful, they choke what God's wanting to do in and through your life. You're distracted by the worries of life. You're distracted because you got more money now, and now you got more stuff. You're distracted because whatever you like to do. So I like to be involved in that, but you understand my golf game, my fishing, or my whatever. Follow the trail of your time, energy, affections, and money, and there you find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is the object of your worship. Could be a thing, could be a position, could be a goal, could be a relationship, could be anything. And I came up with this statement. I want you to say it with me, whether you want to or not. It's a great statement. It's a great statement. It was good for me. You ready? Here we go. Let's say this together. You ready? We should set our priorities in life around the Word of God and the work of the kingdom, the church. And if you don't do that, life will set your priorities for you. If you don't set the priority around the Word of God and the church, then life will set your priorities for you. And the worries of life and the riches, pleasures, will distract you from what's most important. Now, God's not a killjoy. doesn't mean you can't play golf if that's your thing, or you can't go catching if that's your thing. or You, you know, it, it, it just means that that's not the priority. And I love what Jesus said. You seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be added onto you. But you've got to maintain the priority. You can have the blessings of God in terms of things. Just don't let the things become the priority. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Well, that's the first scheme. We spend a bit of time on that one because that's a biggie. But that's not the only scheme. Nehemiah 6, verse 5, then the fifth time, fifth time, Sam Ballas sent his aid to me with the same message. 
And in his hand, this time was an unsealed letter. I underline that, unsealed letter. Why is that important? Because it doesn't have any position of authority, no king, no governor that puts his seal of authority on it. So already you smell a rat. It's an unsealed letter, not official, in which was written. It's reported among the nations, and Geshem, Geshem says it's true. That's what you want to find one guy that says, yeah, that's true. What you think about him, what you say? <laughs> that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah, King Nehemiah. Now this report will get back to the king, the king of ancient Persia. So come, let us confer together. Verse 8, I sent this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up, making it up in your own head. You know what this scheme is? False accusations. Innuendo. What's an innuendo? It's a hint, an insinuation, or an intimation about a person or thing, especially of a denigrating or derogatory nature. Denigrating, it means you're, it's attacking your reputation. Well, Alan Redpath was a Bible teacher, pastor, been with the Lord for some time now, but he wrote this book, Studies in the Book of Nehemiah. And I thought about it in preparation for this message, and I went and looked for this particular page, page 119, and Alan Redpath says this. Listen, this is good for me. This is good for me. If the world cannot persuade the Christian to compromise, it'll begin to spread rumors about him and misrepresent his motives. If a Christian is out for God and souls, he becomes a target for other people's tongues. And the worst enemy of Christian people is the last member of the human body to be consecrated. This thing in our mouth, which one moment speaks love and the next moment, venom. Some man who has sought to live a pure, godly, holy life is brought down to shame because somebody has spread a rumor about him. God forbid that any of us should be a tool in Satan's hands. And if we are tempted to talk scandal about another Christian, let us pray that God will set a watch over our lips. Whether you be a pastor or teacher or evangelist or Sunday school leader or whatever your position may be in Christian leadership, let me say, there will always be those who are friendly to your face, but who plan your downfall behind your back. Beware of the fawning, flattering Christian who is always fluttering around you and who behind your back will be the first to rejoice when you go down. Pastor's conference last year in Merritt Island, Florida. Pastor Damian Kyle, Calvary Chapel, Modesto, California, was speaking. You know, you don't remember most of what you hear in a message or at a conference, but you get every now and then over the years of time little nuggets, little nuggets of truth. And I got a nugget from Damian Kyle. At the end of his message, here's what he said. He said, you take care of your character. God will take care of your reputation. That's a great statement. You take care of your character. God will take care of your reputation. Funny, I was talking to Jairus, my son, not long ago, and he was telling me about a movie he saw. I don't remember the movie or anything, but he, he said in this movie, one of the characters made this statement, and here it is. Reputation is what people think about you. Character is who you really are. And as long as you know you're right with God, your motives are pure, 
And you're doing as best as you know the work that God's called you to do. Don't give in to the false accusations. Don't give in to the innuendo. But there's another one. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it'll not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. I prayed. Strengthen my hands. Then he adds with that, verse 10, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his house. Why is he shut in? Not because he's old, because he's in fear. Or at least that's what he's saying. How do you know that? Read the rest. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let's close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. Come with me. Save your life. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Here's the third tactic of the enemy, intimidation, fear. And it works so many times. It works so many times. The proverb says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. It will stop you from any forward movement for God. Shemaiah was a fellow Jew, someone you think could be trusted. But the enemy has planted him there to try to get Nehemiah to give in to fear and run and hide. Nehemiah says, I won't do it. It's so cool what God would do before the Israelites would go out to battle in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 20 tells us. Deuteronomy chapter 20. This is so practical. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, don't be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you're going to battle against your enemies. Don't be faint-hearted or afraid. Don't be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. The officers shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else may dedicate it. In other words, if your new house is more important to you than the battle, just go home. Just go home. Take care of your house. God's looking for just a few good men. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. If your vineyard is more important, just go home. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? You're in love. You're planning on getting married. Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. If your romantic dreams are more important than what God's called you to, just go home. Just go home. And then the officer shall add, is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. Because fear and intimidation spreads like wildfire. Don't give in to it. But there is a fourth. Nehemiah chapter 6 
verse 14. Nehemiah prays again, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, because of what they have done. Thanks for joining us today to study the Old Testament on the Living Word. You may have thought that this section of the Bible isn't relevant in a world that Jesus has redeemed, but we hope through this study that you've changed your opinion. There's plenty to learn from Old Testament books, the people within, and the ways that God reveals Himself. The God you meet in the Old Testament is the same one who created you, and the same one who's governing your life right now. If you'd like to explore more teachings from this Gleanings from the Old Testament series, you can find them online at ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube page, where you can watch a number of teachings from Calvary Chapel Fellowship and subscribe to our channel. Come connect with us on social media as well. You'll find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll be able to jump into the conversations there. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. You're invited to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. We're excited to welcome you into our family of faith. You'll find directions and more information at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more on The Living Word.